from the Salvation Army National Headquarters, this is the Fight for Good podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Fight for Good podcast. I'm your host, Major Jamie Satterley, and here with me is the production coordinator for the Publications Department, Michelle Katsaris. In today's podcast, we're going to be sharing Michelle's interview with singer-songwriter Ellie Holcomb. How are you doing today, Michelle? Good. How are you? I'm doing all right. So, Michelle, tell me, who is Ellie Holcomb, and why is her message so important to our listeners? So Ellie is a sing- singer-songwriter, like you said, and she sings Christian and faith-based music, um, and she is all around the Nashville area, so she's definitely got that hint of a country vibe to her, too. And her message is super important because she is just very different, and I mean that in a very good way, from most Hollywood singers. She never really that let the Hollywood life kind of get to her, yet she was also on tour while being a mother. She was able to kind of balance the two really well. And I think just her faith and belief in God is what helped her do that. Instead of getting sucked into the fame and fortune of everything, she really stayed grounded and really stuck to like her roots. Awesome. I'm really excited to hear uh, Michelle's interview. So stay tuned with us. I encourage you to take a few minutes and listen to this interview. So again, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. My name is Ellie Holcomb. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I am a singer, songwriter, author, children's book author, and mom to three kids, Emmy Lou Huck and Rivers, eight, five, two and a half, been married to my husband, Drew Holcomb, who is in a band called Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors. And we have been a family making music and touring all across the country for most of the 15 years that we've been together. That's awesome. How did you and your husband meet? He, you know what? He was my best guy friend in college that I swore I'd never date. We met at the University <laughs> of Tennessee. And I also swore that I would never marry a musician. And I swore that I would never do music as well. So I think that God has a sense of humor. <laughs> Definitely. So if you swore you never did music, how did you end up doing music? So I got my master's in education and I was an English teacher. And um, in the same breath, what I did in college was I was like a bad version of Taylor Swift. Um, I was having my heart broken a lot in college. And so I was writing songs about that and singing them in the stairwell of my dorm. And so what happened is that when I was seeing those songs, um, I'd be closing my eyes. I would sing in the stairwell because that's where it sounded the best. It echoes in there, you know? <laughs> and then also I didn't want to keep my roommate awake. So I would play these songs and what would end up happening almost every time is girls would end up lining the dorm room stairwell. Um, half the time crying, not all the time sober. Um, and then what would happen is they would sit down and just cause I played a song, they would start telling me their story. And so I learned from a really young age in college, um, even though I didn't really want music to be my job, I fell in love with the way that music is a bridge builder. It connects our stories. And so I, uh, I ended up teaching, got my master's in education, loved teaching, but I sang in the classroom all the time and then ended up marrying my best friend, Drew, who was a musician and he was gone all the time. So we decided about two years into teaching, two years into marriage, I would quit my teaching job join him on the road. We thought that would be a year-long diversion. Uh, I just thought, you know, we're young. 
I went and told my principal, I was like, I'm going to go on tour with my husband next year, but I need you to keep my job for the year after this one. Cause I'm sure we're going to be totally broke and never be able to like, this is not going to work out. This was like our health insurance. We, I, so I'm probably going to need to come back, but I'm going to go just see about this. Cause I think I'll always wonder. And here we are 15 years later, still, still making music. So I'm, I'm really, really grateful. And then I was in his band for eight years. We started having kids about six years into that journey, we took our little girl, Emmy Lou. She was on the road by, by six weeks or no, sorry, three weeks. She was three weeks old when we went on tour with her. And then by the time she was six months, she'd been to 32 states in Canada. By the time oh, she was wow. a year, she'd been to almost almost all the states a couple times. And so when she started walking, I was like, we got to get her out of her car seat and just <laughs> into normal toddler land. We were in like bars and clubs, yeah. like warming up her bottle and a shot glass at a bar, you know, like, what are we doing? This is crazy. And so we, um, I, I quit my husband's band after building it all these years to really be a stay at home mom, but had started writing scripture into songs. Um, I was memorizing scripture with a friend of mine who battles depression. And really we realized it wasn't enough to acknowledge the lies. We kind of needed to hang on to what was true, but I'm terrible at memorizing scripture. <laughs> um, and so Basically what I did was I was like, I can remember a thousand songs. What if I wrote scripture into songs? And so that's what I've been doing really for the last seven years. And it has been such a beautiful, a beautiful journey. I ended up starting my own, accidentally starting my own music career with these scripture songs that I've been writing. And I'm so grateful. Uh, I love making music and, and it's been fun to bring our kids on the road and, uh, <laughs> and tell stories and connect with other people's stories along the way. That's awesome. I want to jump back to the time that you said you were in college. What, um, like what year was that? Probably Oh one through Oh four was it were my college years. Okay. And so social media wasn't like a huge thing yet during that Great time. Question. Like I think yes, we had MySpace that. maybe. <laughs> yeah. was MySpace. Actually Facebook happened when we were in college. The first year that Facebook went kind of like across the country, you know, when it was just for college students. Yeah. I remember actually my husband's a year older than me and he was so mad because he had graduated early. And so he couldn't get a Facebook account for the longest time. <laughs> That's actually pretty funny. But like, you know, it's interesting because um, I think it just shows that your passion was a, a real passion. I don't want to say people's passions are fake, but it is hard. You know what? Sometimes I think people put on this persona of they want to initially become famous, you know, right. and so, especially with social media. So the fact that you were in your dorm, in the, in the stairwell, it you know, the girls in front of me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you weren't doing it for, um, you know, fans, you were doing it because you really loved it. And I just think that's really a, a really nice story. I like to hear those kind of stories of people yeah. who did to make something out of nothing, but they did. Absolutely. Well, and you know, it is a strange time that we live in and there's some, there's, there's beauty to it, right? There's beauty. And then there's like brokenness to it. Uh, cause the beauty is we can connect with so many people. We get perspectives sometimes that we would never get with just the people in front of us, but there's a comparison thing. I, I don't think that the human heart, this is why I never wanted to be a musician is I, I grew up in Nashville in the studios of Nashville. My dad is a producer. And I saw even as a kid that, that fame costs something like, like there's, there's a level of freedom that you don't have. So I have never been interested in, uh, in being famous. I just was like, and really in touring, I'm like, you just have to leave home. That just sounds hard. 
but I had some really beautiful examples of people who used that platform just to connect with people in the same way that I was doing in my dorm room stairwell. And so, um, Amy Grant is one of those. And I just, my mom always was telling me to watch her in signing line. She's like, look, people are going to say, Oh, you're so amazing. She was like, what Amy knows is that they were just connecting. God was doing something in the song in their heart. And Amy knows that. And so she turns it from her back around on that other person. And so I'm really grateful for some examples like that, who, uh, who keep, I don't know, others kind of forefront and center because the, the, our counselor at Porter's call, Al Andrews, they do counseling for, um, for musicians. And my husband, I remember asking them, he said, Al, you've counseled musicians for over 20 years now. What, is there any like takeaway that you know, um, is true? And he goes, Oh, that's easy. He goes, the human heart was not built for notoriety. And so there is something weird when you're just writing for notoriety. I don't know, something gets a little bit off. And, and I think it's important and beautiful that we remember each of us has a story and, and we're built for community. And so when we can use social media as a platform to connect as community, I think that's when it's beautiful. Definitely. And you kind of already touched on this a little bit, but do does faith inspire the music that you write? Oh, a hundred percent. I usually, when I tell people about my music, they're like, what kind of music do you write? And I'm like, well, I'm just working out my faith in song. Um, (laughs) So I call myself a selfish songwriter because I'm usually just, I, a lot of times I will sit in scripture and, and then let songs come out. And usually it's just me trying to help my own weary and forgetful heart uh, believe. Like if I can sing it, sometimes it helps me believe it. And so um, I'm usually just trying to hold on to the light and hold on to the hope in the songs that I write, either for myself or for other people that I know and love. And then if that's good for somebody else, or if that connects with somebody else's story, that's like icing on the cake. But usually I'm like, oh God, help me remember this. This is true. Help me believe, um, help my unbelief, God. And, and I'm just singing that out to him and then sort of letting other people listen into these prayers and kind of journal entries that turn into melodies and songs. That's amazing. What are some of your favorite and least favorite parts of your job? Uh, my favorite job continue part of my job continues to be uh, this idea that we get to be uh, co-collaborators with God. <laughs> I just think it's amazing how he made each one of us in his image. He's creator. He's creative. And every single one of us is an image bearer in that way. It may not be songs. It may be conversations. It may be a business structure. It may be a spreadsheet. It may be a meal. Um, but, but we all get to participate in this beautiful sense of creating. And so I love the the creating and the collaborative nature of being a songwriter. I write most of my songs with other people because uh, authentic community is sort of a core value of mine. And so to be able to bring authentic community into a co-writing room where you're meeting somebody and hearing their story and processing faith and doubt and then creating something beautiful out of that, like I kind of cannot shake that. And then the second part that I love about it is, is that connective piece, the connective tissue. Jeff Tweedy, he's in a band called Wilco, and he says, we go to concerts so we can suffer together. And I love that so much because I think so often, how many times have you heard a song where you're like, oh, 
that's exactly how I feel. Or I, you just put into words exactly what I just walked through. And so I, I think I love the nature of, of songs um, and the way that they connect our souls. Um, and so that, that kind of connective tissue, uh, connecting our stories to one another's stories is probably my favorite part that my least favorite part of my job is when I don't get to bring my babies on the road with me, when I have to leave my kids behind, as it turns out, I was right about that part about music. It is like there. So, but what's beautiful is we kind of have this both and rhythm of taking, we take our kids half the time and then half the time, if it's just a one-off, we'll leave them behind so they can have some normalcy and some schedule and stuff. Uh, but that is, that's my least favorite part is having to, to leave home sometimes miss out on birthday parties, miss out on fun events. Um, so I'm very grateful for our community at home. We have amazing, uh, people who love us and love our children. And, and I'm very grateful for the way that music has taught me that it takes a village to raise, raise, raise kids up. And, and I'm grateful for our village. Definitely. And they're going to remember that too. Um, you know, like as they start getting older, like they're going to remember that community that they had as children. So that's super important. A hundred percent. They know, they know it's a team effort. <laughs> <laughs> um, so who are some of your musical inspirations? Oh my goodness. Well, I grew up listening to the Beatles. That was like the soundtrack of my, of my childhood. And then Amy Grant was my dad produced most of her records. So my dad's name is Brown Bannister. He's been in the, a producer in the kind of CCM world really before it was a world, um, of, or like a genre of music. And, um, so I, I loved her music as a kid. I loved the way that she told stories. I loved the way that she connected with other people's stories as a kid. I, I admired her greatly. She was a hero of mine growing up and it's been so beautiful. We've had the chance to, I've gotten to tour with her. It's a very full circle, story, but I've gotten a tour with her. She, my mom sang at her first concert. They went to high school together and middle school together. And that's actually how my mom met the Lord was through Amy and her family. And so it's just been a really beautiful thing getting to partner with her. I love Sarah Groves. Um, she has been a, a hero and a storyteller and a songwriter of, of mine. I love Patty Griffin. I love Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. So it kind of it spans all the all the genres. Uh, lately, I've listened to a lot of Maggie Rogers. And uh, and so I love a lot of different kinds of music. Um, but I, I am very deeply grateful for those kind of singer-songwriter women, Amy and Sarah. They've been heroes of mine for a while. And it's been beautiful to get to work with both of them in different ways over the years. And, you know, it's kind of funny that you swore you would never have a career in music, but it kind of sounds like you were raised in it. I was. I know. Isn't that funny? I'm just like, God, he just has a sense of humor. And and what's crazy is I'm so, I was so afraid that doing music would sort of like destroy my family or something. And what's been so beautiful is um, my dad and I, I, you know, he was, I grew up and he was this producer, very successful producer, won Grammys all the time um, and was very passionate about the power that music has, the ability that music has to bring people hope. And so I caught that as a kid, but, but he would say this if he was here with us on the conversation, he was very much, um, almost like a workaholic. He just missed a lot of my childhood. And so I think part of my reaction to music in that way was like, Oh, I don't want to miss out on, on 
like the really fun stuff that's happening at home too. And so it's been so beautiful. I always say that God restores the years that the locusts have eaten. We, my dad has, has been a part of every record that I've ever made. And so God kind of turned his heart towards home, did a lot of healing in our family. And, um, it's been so beautiful. The very thing that took him away from our family when I was a kid has been something that we've gotten to do together. A lot of my other brothers and sisters, I'm the oldest of five. They make music too. And then now my kids and my my husband and I are all making music together. Like it's, it's very much a collaborative family communal thing. And, um, so the very thing that I was afraid of has been the place where God's shown up. And I'm so glad that fear didn't keep me from, from doing the things that he was kind of calling me to do. Cause as it turns out, it has just been this like grand, beautiful adventure and I'm, and I'm grateful for it. Yeah. And do your, um, do your kids show any interest in music now? They do. Yeah, they, they really do. They, especially my oldest, you know, she, there's cost to it too. But so we, we talk with them about the hard things. You know, it's hard that mom and dad have to leave sometimes, but we also get to all leave together and live on a bus together and, and experience things together that maybe, you know, if we had nine to five jobs, maybe we couldn't. So there's, we talk about the both and very, very fully with them. And, um, and so I think because of that, they, they do get to see a lot of the benefits and the fun and the adventure of that. And so they're like, that is cool. We think we may want to do that too. So, and they love, we are very musical family. We sing, I have a I have a basket of like little instruments just right next to our kitchen table, honestly, kind of an awkward place for it. But we dance and sing in the kitchen a lot. And um, through COVID, we did this thing called kitchen covers where we, I think for 40, no, maybe it was 60 nights in a row, we covered a song in our kitchen. And, uh, and I think there's a very much of a sense of that we are a family who sings our way through the sadness. And that has been a beautiful thing to do together. That sounds so fun. I want to start doing kitchen covers with my family. Go on, do it. It is an absolute blast. And if we're not singing it, we can at least dance along in the kitchen. Right. So that was a beautiful rhythm that happened in COVID. We would end every night singing and, and dancing around together. And, and I'm just grateful. I think we were made to sing, all of us, even if we don't sound good doing it. It's good. There's something good about breathing and 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 coming together to create something beautiful. Uh, there's something communal in the nature of singing. And I, and I think that's probably my favorite thing about it. Definitely. Um, so outside of music and your family, what are some of your hobbies, things that you do to kind of unwind from the day? Yeah, well, I love being outside. That's about my favorite thing to do is is take a long walk with a friend or with a music or podcast. Um, I am a paddle boarder. Do you know it like the SUPs? Um, I think I was meant to be a surfer, but I don't, I'm landlocked here in Tennessee. And so um, there is something about being near the water that is very grounding to me. Kind of found out in this last record, I think why, because uh, as it turns out, water always moves to the lowest place. And I think that is very similar to the love of God. It's There's like this current of love that's that runs under everything that we do that will run deeper than our deepest sorrow. And so I think getting to the water and being in the water is a very grounding thing for me. Um, and so anytime I can be on a boat, on a paddleboard, next to a river, on a walk or a hike, that's kind of my jam. So anything around the water is sort of my hobby, which is hilarious because again, 
landlocked here in Tennessee. (laughs) (laughs) No, I like that. Um, Yeah, I would not be surprised if you see that as a call out on your page, because I really like that about how you compare God's love to uh, water and the lowest point. Yeah, it's it's heard that before. So I really like it. It's really, it's really good. I got to go. Have you ever been to the Grand Canyon before? I have. I actually went last year. Did you? Okay, so me too. It was my first time. And I mean, what was your experience like? Did it just floor you? Yes. Cause so we went at sunset um, and we, and it was actually still, it was in August. So the pandemic was still there, but we kind of already had those non-refundable tickets, you know? And so it was very interesting because I don't think it was as crowded as maybe it normally would have been if it wasn't in the middle of a pandemic. And even though so there was no one there sunset and it was just like me uh my boyfriend my cousin and her boyfriend and we just like didn't talk we just stared at the sunset for over an hour and no one said anything to each other (laughs) that is you were breathing yeah it was amazing and so that is crazy because I went right around the same time in August of last year when the numbers were lower it was like it just and we we actually camped on the northern rim and then we went down into the canyon, rafted the river, camped on the riverbanks, and then rafted out. And so our guide was telling us like basically the canyon walls tell this story. And it's really a story of like disaster upon disaster. It's like a drought, a flood, a volcano, an earthquake, a landslide, a mudslide. And then there's this huge divide, right? Like this, like it's a canyon. So I just was looking at it. And after last year, so much sorrow and loss that we all went through last year and racial tension, political division. And so I just thought, man, I felt like I was looking at a picture of what our hearts all looked like after that crazy year. Because to be human is to be broken, right? Like have our hearts kind of split wide open like a canyon. And so I I literally, but then there in the deepest part of that canyon, in the pit of all the brokenness, of all the pain, there was a river. The Colorado River is right there. And you remember being there in August, it was hot as Hades. It was yes. 110 <laughs> degrees. I think maybe that's also, it's like COVID plus August equals yeah, not very many people in the Grand Canyon. <laughs> Um, uh, we looked it up and we had seen that, like everyone told us you guys came during the worst week. It's the hottest it's ever been. It's like the hottest. So, <laughs> and, and I mean, it's been hot. We're in a hot time culturally. Like it's heated. It's there. It's cancel culture. Strangers are hating strangers on the internet. And, but there in the middle of all that heat, that Colorado river that runs through the middle of the Canyon is 50 degrees. And so I just was, I could not get over. It just felt like a picture to me of the gospel that God was broken for us so that we could know that in our most broken place, in our most divided place, in the pit of all of our sorrow, in the pit of the deepest division, there is a river that's running through and that will carry us if we'll only let it when it feels like we can't carry on any longer. And so I came home from that canyon trip. I had written this whole other record about how God had met me in the, in the deepest parts of my pain. And then all of a sudden he took my understanding of the gospel that was basically like a raindrop. And he was like, actually, it's the ocean. Like my love is big enough to meet every single person on the globe in their most broken place and carry them on and surround them. And, and, I just, I just feel like there's this reason we can laugh with deep relief because even in, at our worst, 
we are still the object of God's affection and, and we can be held by him when we're falling apart. And so I just, I, I literally shoved a pile of 35 songs off my desk and wrote a whole new record that's called Canyon. That's sort of based on the hope that I've found in, in the midst of our most broken places. And I'm deeply grateful for that. I was going to ask, I was going to say, is that why your uh, new album is called Canyon? So I I just put two and two together. (laughs) I couldn't couldn't shake it. I could not shake it. I'm like, man, I think I figured out why I love the water so much. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love that. So, um, and I I believe this interview is going to come out after your album is released, but can you tell us the release date for your album? Yeah, it's June 25th. And, uh, and we've released, uh, the, the sing, there's a couple singles that we've already released Canyon. Uh, there's a song called, I don't want to miss it, man, which that's based in, um, Zephaniah 317, uh, which is that the Lord, your God is in your midst. He's mighty to save. He will delight over you with gladness. He'll quiet you with his love. He'll rejoice over you with loud singing. And I don't know about you, Michelle, but we mentioned, we mentioned how, how noisy social media can be. We were talking about that earlier. And there's so much noise. You should be like this. You should be saying this. You're saying the wrong thing here. You're saying the right thing here. I mean, it is noisy. And I just thought, man, in the midst of all of this noise, in the midst of cancel culture, in the midst of all the noise of social media, there is this beautiful truth that the God who made us, who loves us, who put breath in our lungs in the first place is delighting over us with singing. So I think my hope for the record is that it turns up the volume of the song of love that God is singing over every single beating human heart. I like that. It's it's true. And you know, even if like you said, people aren't good singers or whatever it is that sometimes people just need to breathe and they need to take a step back and like really focus on what's important, whether that's visiting the Grand Canyon or singing a song. Having <laughs> so, a meaningful conversation face to face with a stranger, with an enemy, with a friend. I mean, I, and that's a beautiful thing that, that we're called into. If you're a person of faith, you get to be called into being molecules that join up with that current of life and love and light that's running through the desert. And, and so what does that look like for us to, to join up with that river and that current of love that, that runs into desert places that runs into places with people we don't agree with that we get to be bridge builder people. We get to be the hope people. And so I am very interested in, in continuing to learn what, what that looks like to be those Isaiah 61 people who rebuild ancient ruins. There's a lot, there's a lot of devastation here. There's a lot of things that we've gotten wrong. Uh, but we, but we get to be this call to be refreshing water in a, in the heat of, of, of cancel culture of hatred, we get to be speaking life and love and light. And so I'm so hoping that's what these songs can, can be a companion to people who are interested in doing that. Definitely. I think they will be just from listening to you speak today. I can only imagine how strong your album is. So I, I think you're doing a great job at doing that. <laughs> um, besides your album, do you have any upcoming projects you're working on? Are you planning on going on tour again soon? What does your future look like? Yeah, definitely. We're starting to be on the road again. My husband and I throw a music festival, which we're about to announce the lineup for this this week. It'll already be out there, but that'll be in September. It's called Moon River Music Festival. He and I'll go on tour in February. Um, 
all over the country. And then I'll be on and off the road. I've been a part of an amazing project called Faithful uh, that just released into the world uh, this past May. And it is a group of um, authors who write books, poets, and then songwriters who circled up to uh, tell the stories of women throughout scripture, uh, really to highlight the faithfulness of God. And that has been, that's been a powerful project to be a part of and highly recommend uh, going to check out that record and uh, the book that came out along with it. Because uh, as it turns out, we were all made for stories. We're wired for stories. And we are invited to be a part of this epic story of God's love that He's invited us into, that He's been telling um, for ages. And so uh, that was a beautiful thing to circle up with a group of women and to tell the stories of God in our own lives. And then to invite other people into that circle to say, hey, go and speak of what you've seen of Him. Because uh, He's really good. and and the world needs stories of hope. And so let's be those hope people, those full circle people who can tell those stories of hope. Definitely. And I have two questions kind of following up with some things you said. You mentioned earlier that you were an author and you wrote some children's books. Can yes. You the titles of those books so we can look them up and, and share them with our readers. Yes, absolutely. So I've got a book called Who Sang the First Song? And uh, that was inspired by my little four-year-old girl who asked me that question one day in passing and I didn't know what to say. So I said, what do you think, Emily Lou? And she goes, I think Dolly Parton sang the first song. <laughs> <Right. laughs> I just said, that's a great, that's a great guess. But I think actually God might've sung the first song. He sang the earth into being. And I think he did that because he made every single one of us to sing about his goodness and his love in our own way. And so um, there's who sang the first song and don't forget to remember. And they each have companion records with them. They're beautifully illustrated. And I think my hope for my kids stuff is that it would help little hearts and the big hearts who are loving those little hearts know who's who they are and whose they are and what they were made for. I like that. Okay, great. And then um, you mentioned you're going on tour. This is just a personal question, but are you coming near DC at all? Yes, we'll be in DC in February. And uh, I can't remember the venue, but yeah, look it up. We're definitely there. And you can go to ellieholcomb.com. All my tour dates are up there. And uh, we'd love, we love seeing people on the road. It's one of our favorite things. And we're excited to get back on the road again. Awesome. That's so exciting. Do you have any final comments, uh, words of wisdom, anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners and our readers? Yeah, absolutely. Y'all, it's been a hard year. We've we've lost a lot collectively. And so I just want to let you know that wherever you are, you are not alone. And, uh, and there's a current of love that is there to carry you and hold you even in your most broken place. You can know that you are beloved and that you have a place where you belong and that we belong to each other and to the one who made us. So hang in there. There's hope for sure. And uh, our suffering never has the final word because Jesus walked up out of that grave and we can know that we're not alone here and uh, that death, death doesn't win in the end. Love does. What a great interview, Michelle. I appreciate your taking the time with Ellie. It's such fantastic stuff there. Listen, you're going to not want to miss the in print edition uh, of Ellie's interview. So make sure that you check us out. 
Uh, you can get your hands on an August edition of The War Cry, or you can look at it at thewarcry.org. So there's lots of great content there, um, and you can check out all of her photos, some beautiful photos that, that she provided for us. It really is a fantastic spread. So be sure and check that out, the August edition of The War Cry. So that's going to be the end of this episode for the Fight for Good podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Fight for Good wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to follow the War Cry and Peer Magazine on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Until next time, this has been the Fight for Good podcast. See you later. Subscribe to Fight for Good wherever you listen to podcasts.